And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome aboard. It's another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Gone for a little while uh, since the last time we were with you, about a week and a half ago with uh, Ryan McGee of uh, ESPN. I'm already in McGee fame. We, uh, we like going guest heavy, especially this time of year, and we're going to continue to do so. Uh, he is J.C. Sherbert, 24-7 Sports. You know him. You love him. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN SCC Network. And joining us uh, today, you probably know him, and if you don't, you probably will know him after this podcast. His name is Josh Pate. Uh, also in the 24-7 sports uh, cavalcade of uh, talented hosts and websites and everything else. Uh, in fact, I'll let him give an even more proper. Usually, Josh, I, I, I have the guests plug things on the back end. We're going to do it differently. We're going to let you get all your plugs in on the front end. So what would you like to tell the people out there about yourself and what you're doing? Okay, yeah, this is good. So my name's Josh. Hey, I hail from Fortson, Georgia, just north of Columbus. I'm ecstatic to be here. And if you want to find what I'm doing, uh, the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel is probably a good place. The Late Kick podcast feed is an even better place if you prefer strictly the audio product. And anything I'm doing is probably going to be on the Twitter and Instagram accounts at Late Kick Josh. And Mike, that concludes my um, self-grandizing and plugging for the day. I, I like it. And it's done very well. Uh, you know, I, I, I've gotten to know your work over the last couple of years, uh, JC kind of made an informal introduction. Uh, and I know he's been a big fan of yours for a while and, and you're in a, you know, you're in a unique space now that maybe didn't exist five, 10 years ago, but certainly it's there now. People can't get enough of college football talk. You have uh, carved out a niche. And the other thing I like about you is that you, you spent time working in Columbus, Georgia. So we have that in common because, uh, I, I did my time, uh, about a year and a half's worth in, in mighty uh, Columbus, GA, back doing uh, Red Sticks games and hosting an afternoon show on the Sports Monster at the time. Uh, we just WDAK. That's right, WDAK. You know, when I got there, th- this, is, this is how that uh, happened, because I get asked this a lot when I talk to, like, uh, uh, broadcasting students across the country. And, and uh, the hardest thing in the world in this business is getting that first job, right? Um, I sent out back then it was mainly cassette tapes. They just started being able where you could like burn a CD if you really knew somebody nerdy and techie. And I just sent them out to a bunch of stations across the Southeast. And luckily for me, a guy who was the PD of WDAK, they just switched to all sports. Now back then the all sports format had not taken off like it has now. And he heard it and they were running like the fabulous sports babe and one-on-one sports, right? This is before ESPN even had an all sports 24 hour a day network. So uh, he wanted a local show and he said, you're my guy if you want it. And you could do minor league baseball and high school football in uh, West Georgia, Eastern Alabama. We did both. And, and that's how it all came about. And I spent my time there and there was, Olympic softball, SCC baseball tournament, the one year it was there, SCC women's basketball tournament. And it looked like they were on the ascension. And now they're back down kind of before where I got there. It's kind of strange. It's funny how people who come out of the Columbus media market, sometimes they they talk about it like it's Leavenworth. But I mean, at the same time, it's a really advantageous place to be 
it's in this triangle, uh, for lack of a better term, of like Auburn and Alabama yes. and Georgia. And you've got obviously the, the high school sports scene. But what you're talking about, I mean, that's that's when I'm, you know, I'm in elementary school, middle school. It's mid 90s. It's late 90s. And like minor league hockey, minor league baseball, it was on fire in Columbus. We go to we go to the Civic Center on a Tuesday night to watch minor league hockey and get turned away because they had hard sellouts That's for right. minor league hockey and an 8,000 seat arena down there. So I don't, there, there are a lot of, let me just say there are a lot of very polarizing and very, uh, very heartfelt thoughts as to why the Columbus sports scene has waned <laughs> the way it has. And I wouldn't be lying to you if I said it didn't coincide with sort of the attitude people have towards a lot of Georgia sports in general, but man, that period when you were down there, I'm not going to go as far as to say, it started the decline when Mike left the viewing market and listening market. But I'm just saying that the timeline syncs up. It, uh, yes, I, I, that's pretty much where I was leading you to, is, is to just make sure uh, you having more Columbus cred than I, you, you could validate that clearly the sports landscape changed after I left and went to South Carolina. You know, and, and I talk about my time in South Carolina, and obviously that's where JC and I uh, linked up. Uh, I had so much fun there and I loved covering the Carolina Clemson rivalry and on any given day, you know, as you were, as we were hosting shows, you, you, you would take a, a call on either one of those programs. So you had to be sharp when I was in Columbus, like you said, you're right in the Bermuda triangle on any given day. And I, I would have five full phone lines Monday through Friday during football season. And you didn't know whether the guy that was calling you was a Georgia fan, Auburn fan, Alabama fan. So it made me, as a 21, 22 year old getting started in this business, it may force myself to be knowledgeable on more than just one or two programs. I had to study my, you know, what off to be well-versed in all of them. Cause if you didn't, they would call you on it right away, but I loved it. I love the fact that we actually had some diversity uh, among the fan bases in, in a, in a, you know, not so big market market one fifteen or whatever it was back then. Uh, so that part was cool. And it, it helped prep me for, you know, all the work I do in the SEC now. So much of the knowledge I have of those three programs dates back to my time in Columbus, GA. So that that is my final ode to the mighty metropolis that is Columbus. It is a very underrated media market for sports. I'm going to tell you what would have changed Columbus. There was a big dust up a long time ago about bringing an interstate from Augusta really all the way to Dallas. I mean, I guess. I guess what 35 ends up being, they wanted to bring that all the way to the East coast and some of the bigger money in Columbus didn't want all that through traffic there. So you got this one mm. little spur of an interstate 185 that runs down there, but there's, there's nothing through Columbus. And so that's one of the main theories as to why Columbus didn't become the next Atlanta or Birmingham, that's but whatever, there's always, there's always Nashville. If you want to move out of there, which is where you are now. And everybody loves Nashville. JC can tell you, right? JC Columbia uh, from what I was told when I was there before Charlotte became the banking capital of America, Columbia had that opportunity. Like a lot of banks thought, Hey, Columbia, capital city, South Carolina, let's make this headquarters. But Columbia didn't want that kind of traffic, that kind of growth. And so it went northbound. Am I right on that? Yeah. 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 That's, that's the story, which is crazy because what with the interstates, there, there are plenty of interstates There are three interstates in Columbia, you know? So, um, it just went up I 77 North to Charlotte for sure. And that's, uh, that's kind of some of the bitter talk around Columbia, South Carolina is, is that, Oh, you let Charlotte do this, do that. And the other. So 
yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And, and of course, not everybody wants to live in a in a major city. It's got its hang-ups. I mean, I'm, a, I'm in Atlanta. There's a lot of good here. It is the mecca of SEC football, but traffic is brutal. Crime is rising. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues here. So we'll we'll get into a whole uh, geographical uh, uh, debate and pros and cons another time. And of course, we'll, we'll get Reese Davis on here to talk about his grand old time in Columbus, GA, as well as we continue that uh, that distinguished list. So, Josh, obviously, this is a college football podcast, but I can't help as we're on the uh, uh, the precipice of another NCAA basketball tournament. I can't help but think of the, the glaring distinction between the two. And of course I'm going beyond the fact that one is a 14 playoff and the other has a 68 team playoff. But as I look at like the teams that are favored to win this year in college basketball, first off, you have no Kentucky and no Duke. That would be like in today's day and age, having a college football playoff with no Alabama and no Clemson or Ohio state. Right. Then you have teams like Gonzaga and Baylor, uh, Gonzaga, basically a mid-major Baylor, who was irrelevant in basketball for about, I don't know, 50 years. That are the two favorites. And I can't help but think this is never going to happen in college football, a sport we love so much because it is painfully predictable. The rich keep getting richer and there's no room for the little guys. So w- when I watch it, that's one of the things that comes to my mind. What do you think of when you get ready for another basketball tournament and you think spring football is right around the corner? Do you see any parallels to that? Well, the parallels I see, you know, I think the landscape of college basketball, which I am by no means an aficionado in, but I think the landscape, if you just view it 50,000 feet, it really started to change when television money in general started to change in this industry. And what you see is you see basically, you know, a 10 gallon drum can only fit 10 gallons. And in a lot of cases, when you have mega TV deals being signed, you got a lot of places in especially areas like the SEC. You look at Alabama right now, look at Auburn, what they've done in the past few years. LSU's got a good basketball product. And you look and you say, where, where in the world did this consistently good basketball product come from around here? And what I think it is just theorizing is those 10 gallon drums got full and people realized, hey, we're going to invest in football, obviously, first and foremost. But we got so much money around here why not kick over to basketball? And it didn't happen overnight. But what happened is over a 10-year period, you looked around and you said, dude, Kentucky used to run this block. Duke used to run this block. And now all of a sudden, if you watch any given year, you look at the product that's being put on the court in different outposts in the SEC that obviously would be traditional football strongholds. And you say, is is that a basketball school? Is is, Is it not just a football school anymore? But as for the cross comparison of the two sports, uh, you're right in what you say about that. I, I'm not necessarily one to go down the road of bemoaning the predictability of college football only because I think a lot of it is self-inflicted. I think a lot of, a lot of folks love to castigate the playoff as being you know, the, the impetus behind all the issues we have today in college football. And I look at it and I say, you're telling me that the playoff is the reason Texas has sucked? Tell me the playoff is the reason Tennessee can't take a leak without getting in front of their pants wet? There's a lot of just poor in-house decision-making at some places that should be involved in this conversation year in and year out that have very little to do with the playoff era. I just think the playoff era has magnified a lot of issues that already existed in a lot of athletic departments. And what I hope moving forward is now that we're several years into this thing, I hope people realize what it takes. Ultimately, sometimes you got to torch the barn and kill the rats, but you got to build an athletic department from the inside out instead of just, 
building on a rotted foundation and saying, all right, let's be good at football. That's not the way this works. It's not the way it's ever worked, but especially as the money's gotten bigger and the tight ropes at a hundred stories instead of 10 stories. Now you fall and it is a spectacular fall in this day and age. And that may be the case in football. That's not the case in basketball, but at the same time, the answer to it, I don't think is trying to take college football and trying to mirror another product out there. What I wish some athletic departments would take it upon themselves to do more of is instead of looking out the window at everything they think's wrong out there about the system, look in the mirror for just a second and ask how much of this stuff is self-inflicted program to program. Right. You know, I, and, and, and I should clarify, cause I know, you know, you, you haven't been on with us and uh, you know, maybe you haven't caught some of our kind of give and take on this. I, I actually have no problem with the playoff at all. And I, and to your point, I don't think it's a causal uh, relationship between the lack of teams participating and, and truly competing for a national title every year because of the, the 14 playoff. This would have been a problem if you want to call it that under the, any system, the BCS, uh, the bowl coalition, the bowl Alliance, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma would be playing for national titles over this, this 10 year or so stretch and any system we've ever had. So I don't think the problem is the playoff. In fact, I, I, I'd like an 18 playoff, and I think we're going to get there. But even when we do get there, it does, it's not going to change the fact that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, and you know your occasional team on, on the fringe that gets in, like, like an LSU, uh, like an Oregon, but, but we're still not having a whole lot of diversity of teams competing for a national championship. So the problem is not the system. And I'm not even saying it's a problem per se, like I'm blaming this guy or this program. If you're going to blame anybody, you got to blame those programs in the second tier for not elevating their program to get to that next level. I mean, you mentioned a program like Tennessee, that's been an unmitigated disaster for a decade, but there's been other programs that have had their chance to try to get up where those other guys are. And for whatever reason, they have fallen short. So regardless of the system that still is going to be in play. And I just don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. And whether you call it a problem or not, I do know this, you are losing some fans. If every year the sport is insanely predictable, which is where we are right now. I think that the latter portion of that statement is true. Think about me changing one thing. So I think if we asked a lot of folks out there, if you would change one thing to change this quote unquote problem, what would you change? I think a lot of people would say expand the playoff. Uh, You and I are kind of in sync there as to the genesis of the problem, so to speak here. But think about me just changing this one thing. If I only removed Nick Saban from college football, how much more parity would college football have? I think a good amount. I think a huge amount. And obviously the limiting factor there wasn't the playoff structure or the amount of teams in there. I mean, if I take Nick Saban out and put a pretty good coach at Alabama, George is a player every year. Alabama's probably a player, but Clemson's a player. Ohio state's a player. We got several sec programs in the race year in and year out. Hopefully the West coast wakes up, but I think any given year you're going into it. And all of a sudden you're looking around saying, Oh, we're back to this world where, I could legitimately see half a dozen teams winning a championship if everything goes right. I think a lot of folks are trying to work their way around this huge like monolith that is called Nick Saban. And the reality is, if you're not an Alabama fan, it sucks to hear, 
probably just going to have to kind of wait till the guy retires. Yeah. And you think of all the coaches that have gotten fired in the SEC alone based on trying to chase Nick Saban. And it's been a, a fruitless effort for the most part. Again, every now and then an LSU comes in and Georgia has certainly been knocking on the door. I think they've had double digit halftime leads the last time they played Alabama and all three times they've succumbed to Nick Saban's adjustments in the second half. Uh, and the rest is history. And that's going to be Kirby smarts, you know, cross to bear as long as he's the head coach at Georgia is, can he finally get to that next level? We're talking with Josh Pate again. Uh, you can catch him on the podcast on YouTube, uh, 24 seven sports, the late kick with Josh Pate. Uh, just tell us some of the things you've been following. I mean, some of the things you've been talking about, because it's that time of the year. I've always said you could train a, 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 an orangutan to go ahead and talk college football from September through December. But this is where I really think that guys in our business kind of earn their keep, so to speak, to, to find interesting things and conversations to, to, to talk about and discuss. What are you looking at right about now here in mid-March? Uh, you're right, man. Like that's the way I look at this time of year in general. It's, it's easy to be an aggregator when there's a continuous flow of content in the form of games coming at you every week. But you know, your P one viewers, listeners, they're not going anywhere. They're going to stick with you all year long. If you give them something of quality. So this time of year, it's up to you to create things for them. And episodic or series based formatting is, is pretty effective this time of year, but we came up with something on late kick. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. I just call it the mood tracker. It's not a, a revolutionary concept, but it's trying to explain at a national level what the ultra granular localized feel of a program is inside that fan base. Cut off the fringe 10% pessimist and optimist. And what is that core 80% feel? And, you know, we did like Penn State this week. We've done all the major programs. That's really fun because it requires you to do a deep dive. It requires you to interact with the fan base. And you find out sometimes the perception on the ground level versus the perception in flyover mode is a lot different. And I think number one, it gives you a much more finely tuned impression of fan bases. And number two, it ups your knowledge base. And number three, it gives people something that's interesting to listen to. Cause even if I'm not a Tennessee fan, for example, if I'm a college football fan, I'll be more than happy to dedicate six and a half minutes of my life to listening about how those people feel down there. Cause I could probably at some point in my fanhood empathize with their situation. You got, you got to really be able to dig deep to empathize with Tennessee. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's no matter who your, your program is, uh, they, they, they got to be sitting there going, look, son, you got sniffles. We've had pneumonia over here in Knoxville for a while. <laughs> it's like, um, you remember back then when, when we, when we lost our family pet of 15 years, take that and then <laughs> exclamate it just a little bit and then have someone hit you in the crotch and couple all that or, or whatever, fold all of it into one. That is the paper football of emotion. That is Tennessee right now. I feel so bad. I have no connection to Tennessee. I think my mom uh, was a Tennessee alum, but I personally have no connection there. But I've observed how willing they are to buy in to every new coaching staff experiment. And they're there and they show up and they, they invest financially, they invest emotionally, and they always get asked to do the same thing. And that is give us some patience, give us some years, and uh, you give it to them and you get no return on the investment, and now it's time to hit the reset button again. And now 
after that decade plus of investment, what do you have? Well, you have a restart. Oh, and you have an NCAA cloud floating over the program. And it's just, you're supposed to be able to see a light at the end of a tunnel. And sometimes it's a train coming right at you. And you have a higher, and this is something we've talked about on this podcast. One of the major storylines every off season, of course, are the firings and hirings. And even in the year of a pandemic, pandemic, we had four more firings, four more new hires. And I, I've been preaching on this podcast and other forums for a while now that, and I don't make it specific to one fan base or five or 10. Uh, it, it seems to be a, an epidemic of fan bases that truly they, they look at things in their little bubble and they think that they can get any coach they want. And every coach out there is just dying to go to their school because that, that has to be the best job on the planet. And then reality strikes and you don't get what you want. And I think we saw some of that with Tennessee. I think we saw some of that with Auburn. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. But, I mean, you go back the year before, we saw some of that. You could say we saw some of that with South Carolina. I mean, some of the names that were coming out initially were, were, were guys that I don't think were truly ever in the running. And so that has become – I'm waiting for the reality to set in where it's like, okay, even if you're an SEC program, all these Power 5 schools got lucrative TV deals, some better than others – uh, Pac-12 is, you know, they're almost, it's almost like the power four and the Pac-12 until they get things right with their new commissioner, but they all got money to play with and coaches like stability. And I always talk about with JC, the path of least resistance. They want to go to a place that's not only good, but a place that they're not going to get fired in three, four years that comes into the equation. So when I look at the hires that were just made, um, I let's take Auburn, for example. I know you covered a lot of Auburn going back to your days, uh, obviously in Columbus, the, the Harson hire, you can spin it however you want to spin it. Um, if you want, I can make an argument that the guy did a lot of great things at Boise state, uh, part of an innovative offense, high winning percentage, uh, some, some good background and some leadership skills, et cetera, et cetera. He's already done a number of uh, talk shows and interviews, everywhere from Feinbaum and everything in between. He's a sharp guy. He's a good interview. Or I could say, okay, what about him tells me that he's going to do a better job than Gus Malzahn and win more than 69% of his games at Auburn. What about him says I mean, he didn't create Boise state. Boise state was already good before he got the job. So what are we really getting here? You understand where I'm going with this. I mean, I can poke holes into any of these hires. So that being said, what did you think of the hires that were made? Uh, I was not blown away with any of them. Think about the world we live in right now. We live in a world where the head coach at the University of Louisiana is either outright or through back channels turning down these opportunities to come to SEC programs, which lets you know, and it validates a lot of what you just suggested there. If people are having a hard time grasping that, you don't need to theorize it. It's actually happening. There are a lot of folks choosing to stay in a non-Power 5 conference over taking a shot at some of these SEC jobs. But I'll tell you, Mike, like, when they finally fired Malzahn, uh, and I was not on board with it. I thought they should have kept Malzahn, but be that as it may, they made their choice, and the fan base was largely on board with it, so whatever. It's not my program. But I remember a couple of years prior, like when, when we think about when they just fired Malzahn, everyone wanted to bash Auburn because I can't believe they were in this contract with Malzahn. They were giving him all this. Well, that's just completely ignoring the context behind what was happening a couple of years earlier. Cause I think Auburn made a shrewd move. It was the only move they could have made a couple of years earlier. See Malzahn was all but fired in mid season. They went down to LSU. They blew a three touchdown, some odd lead 
And he's all but fired, man. They're writing the articles. I remember being in the media room in Tiger Stadium down at LSU. Malzahn's wife is in the room, and he's not in there yet for his press conference. And the Auburn beat guys are very, very audibly just castigating him. He's out to dry. We're already getting our articles together about our hot boards and who's going to be the next coach here. Well, that's when you fast forward one more month, and he's beating Georgia, number one, beating Alabama, number one. And before that week of the SEC championship game, they pressed Auburn. He and his representation pressed Auburn against the wall. And they said, we want a new extension now. They floated rumors of an offer from Arkansas, whether that was valid or not, they floated it. But here's what I think really put Auburn's feet to the fire. Tennessee was undergoing a disastrous coaching search at the time. They ended up with Pruitt. But they had gone through like 47 other candidates. And the Auburn powers that be, well, I, I guarantee a lot of them wanted to call Malzahn's bluff or just outright say, we're not paying you this. But they looked up in Knoxville and said, is that the coaching market? Is this what we really want to dive into? And so they re-upped Malzahn. So then two years later, they end up firing him. Everyone wants to say, how in the world did we agree to this contract? Well, that's how you agreed to the contract. So now they decided enough was enough. And even though there's a guy who's beaten Nick Saban multiple times in a conference where no one else has beat him once, aside from Ed Orgeron, and outside of Orgeron, no one's beat him, period. And they said, what we have is not good enough. So the question you asked is the one I cannot cross a bridge over. And that is not, can he be as good as Malzahn? You're not hiring a new guy to be as good as your old guy. You're hiring him to be better. And the question you asked was, well, what in his history has proven that he could do that? Well, I could go the other way. So if we wanted to go devil's advocate, Hey, I could be an Auburn guy and say, well, when Pat died, was at Wyoming, there was nothing to indicate he could come down here and then get us out of the shadow of Bryant. Hmm. Or you could say, yeah, how many hires have come from Wyoming since then? Like how many, how many of these examples are anecdotal in glaring omission of what the overall rule is? And I think the rule is what you need to live your life by and guide your athletic department by. And right now, I don't have any particular reason to be over the moon excited about that hire or the hire in Knoxville. Granted, that was with an NCAA investigation backdrop, but I, I just think that that pressure, man, it's going to burst a lot more pipes around here than it creates diamonds with the rationale behind some of these decisions. Yeah. I mean, and, and I go into Josh Heupel. I mean, you've got, <laughs> I, I have friends that went to UCF and they weren't wild about Josh Heupel there. Like th- there was no one shedding a tear about losing Josh Heupel in Orlando. And they, it's and incredible. they feel like by getting Gus Malzahn, they just got an upgrade. It's incredible. I had a phone call the week before Heupel was, uh, yeah, the week before Heupel was hired at Tennessee. I had not heard his name associated with that program. I just happened to be on a conversation with someone about him. And I was asking about the status of coaches. I was just putting some feelers out as pretty much all of us do that time of year. And so, you know, I'm looking for feedback on this guy, that guy. And out of the blue, my guy says, Hey, by the way, keep an eye on central Florida. Heupel, he's not on the hot seat right now, but some folks down there are less than thrilled about where they are right now. And if he does not improve them this year, I'd, I'd give strong reason to suspect he may be on his way out this time next year. And then all of a sudden I see the headline, Josh Heupel, overwhelming likely candidate for the Tennessee job. And it's like, well, nothing's changed in the last week, obviously. So is this really the best they could do? I guess it was, but yeah, it's a, it's strange times here. And I'll, I'll say this. I mean, Josh Heupel in Missouri. I remember, I remember thinking when he went to Missouri as the OC, I was like, well, you know, there's a reason he left Oklahoma where he was a you know quarterback and won a national championship and all that. 
Uh, there's a reason Bob Stoops kind of made a change there. And then, you know, he goes to Missouri and they love to tweet out all the time about how they had the number one offense in the country. But when you looked at it, they would be, they would put 77 on Missouri state. Uh, and then I think this was the 2017 season. By the time they played Florida, they had quit. They put 45 on them. They put, they played Tennessee. They had quit. They put 50 on those guys. But then when they played anybody with a defense, i.e. South Carolina at the time, uh, Georgia, Kentucky, uh, they wouldn't go very far. And, you know, you, you look at kind of what Scott Frost did at UCF in two years and, you know, George O'Leary before him, with the exception of his disastrous final season, that program at UCF uh, is really good. It's probably one of the best group of five programs out there. Um, and he goes from, you know, 12 and one to 11 and two to six and four. <laughs> and, uh, and I watched the six and four team this year beat Georgia Tech and do some nice things, but then there were some losses. Uh, and I don't know, you know, Danny White, Tennessee's new athletic director has a sterling track record of hires since he was at Buffalo, you know? And so I I don't really want to question him on that, but you know, this just was not something that, that I expected uh, Tennessee to do. If the market was that bad, you know, bizarrely you're paying Kevin Steele $1.8 million to, to, to coach, but not coach for a month. (laughs) You know, I thought they may just hand it to Steele who was supposed to get Auburn, uh, and, and run with it for, for the next year and on an interim basis. But, uh, you know, that was interesting. I understand why South Carolina hired Shane Beamer, of course, because I'm close to that program. And uh, I think the Gamecocks may get a sneaky good deal out of that, depending on how some staff members work out and all that. I think Clark Lee for Vanderbilt is a good hire. Um, and with Harson, we'll wait and see. It's kind of one of those weird things where, you know, sometimes guys that come in from out of region, you think, oh, well, you know, how are they going to fit? And they end up fitting pretty good. Um, sometimes they come in for out. I mean, sometimes they're Joe Moorhead, though, and they come in, fish out of water, and they're gone uh, within a couple of years. So we'll just have to see about all that. I want to ask this, Josh. So who's more so, – so what are the chances next year that we get through the 2021 season and – for 2022, the same coaches are at Florida and LSU. Oh, man. Let me think on this. So, and this is independent of us knowing what's going to happen in any kind of off-the-field matter with LSU. I, if you gave me 50-50 odds, I would lean on the under at one and a half. Let me say that. I think something, I think there'll be action at one of those places after this season. Wow. I, I, I see. I never bought into the Dan Mullen NFL rumors that felt like a smoke screen. And I, I don't think he had any serious offers there, but here's, um, but Mike, let me ask you this. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, and I think in retrospect, now we can look back and we can say that's accurate. What I don't think is Dan Mullen realized that I think he was all in on getting out of there and probably overvalued his stock relative to how the NFL viewed him. And here's the problem. The problem, I, I made it analogous the other day on my show to being a senior in high school in that final semester, and you kind of check out, and you know you don't, you don't really care because you're not going to be here next year. And then all of a sudden you find out there's a 13th grade, and you got to be there again. And you're losing the Heisman caliber quarterbacks, and you're losing all this talent. Kyle Pitts, you got to retool a defense, and it's like you're just staggered. And now someone's asking you to sprint again. That, that's why 
I think this year will probably tell the tale on Dan Mullen. It's not because he's going to have a bad team or anything like that. But if he was mentally checked out and then he's trying to mentally check himself back in, which there's no way to know, there's no stat category for that. I think it'll be pretty apparent. I also think it speaks volumes right now. The, the kind of sniping and the, the veiled quibbling that he's had back and forth with the administration down there. You know, he's gotten himself inside three years on his contract left and there's been no re-up. There's been no renewal. He has not been happy about that in his own unique way. He's been vocal about it. And so it's obvious there's not perfect synergy within that athletic department already. I think a lot of them were rubbed the wrong way with the way he carried himself in a lot of off the field ways last year, one notable on the field way against Missouri. And then you combine that with the fact that he may have been checked out and all of a sudden now he's got to recrank the car in sub freezing temperatures. I I'm way out in left field on what to expect from Auburn or from yeah. Florida this year. Yeah. I, I had that Missouri game by the way. And that was one of the games I was actually in person. That was bizarre beyond belief. Uh, it was, it was just kind of like an out of body moment for, for Dan Mullen <laughs> going into the locker room at halftime, going into the post game conference in a Darth Vader uniform, talking about a brawl, that that was before the Georgia game that potentially could have cost him a Georgia game with suspensions. Of course it did not. I, you know, I would say this about, and I've known Dan Mullen going back to Mississippi state and he's always been a unique personality, which I actually like. I, I think the sec, we, we need more of those, but, <laughs> um, but I, I, I would tell Florida fans and Dan Mullen, you guys need one another. I think Florida fans that have been critical are real easy to real quick to forget what Jim McElwain, Will Muschamp, Ron Zook were like, like Florida football is not guaranteed top 10 success. Dan Mullen is a good coach and a great play caller and actually now is, is recruiting well, which was the one knock on him and the concern on him taking the job. If you're Dan Mullen, I don't know if Dan Mullen is a fit for every powerhouse program out there or NFL programs. I mean, that, that might not seem like a match made in heaven, but I think it needs to be, it needs to work for both of them. I would throw, cause I love that question. I would also throw this one out uh, in a very similar context. Cause I think both these programs are in a foot race to relevance and that would be Tennessee and South Carolina. And that's Heupel and Beamer. I mean, what, what, what are we looking at three years from now? Where, where do those two programs stand? You know, with Beamer, I've got confidence he'll be there in three years. And that's, that's independent of what the on-field result is, to be honest with you. Heupel, I have no way to know what they expect there, only because I don't know what they knew when they made that hire that the rest of us don't know yet. And so there may be just this blanket understanding within the administration that it's about to drop on us. Bottom's going to fall out. Whatever we do is irrelevant. We're going to stick through. This is going to be our bridge candidate. When we come out on the other end, then we'll go to work. But with Beamer, I was thinking about this earlier. There's, a, I think, a correlation between what South Carolina has done and what Georgia Tech has done. So neither of those jobs would be considered tier one destination jobs for your normal run-of-the-mill high-level coaching candidate. But what's unique about the candidates they landed, Beamer at South Carolina and Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, and maybe Clark Lee is this way at Vanderbilt too. He certainly talks the talk. You've got guys that view those jobs as tier one destinations because of their unique ties there. And so they view that job disproportionate to the way the market would view it. And what's exciting about that is if you end up catching that lightning in a bottle, 
not only are you not necessarily having to worry about what other tier three, tier two programs would have to worry about, which is your coach leaving for greener pastures. You also know full well, you got a guy willing to go over a cliff for the program. And hopefully if you're succeeding, that means the rest of the football program is a representation of his ideology and his identity. You get that entire collective identity and you turn into what D'Antonio had Michigan state looking like at their height, which is, you can't explain why they're beating Ohio State. They certainly don't match them on the field roster-wise, but yet the scoreboard says Michigan State just won this game. And they just want to know, what, they just beat them in the Big Ten Championship? And all of a sudden, you're looking around and you're saying, so that's what culture looks like. That's fascinating. And so I, I view those two jobs, Carolina and Tennessee, a little bit differently. But I, I think there's a lot to question about the Shane Beamer hire. But then I also think they understand, and he's from there, so he understands this, there are some elements around Carolina that are probably being undersold at the regional and national level. There is no facility or infrastructure rebuild that has to happen. They are brilliantly marketing Columbia, South Carolina right now, which is a lot like Tuscaloosa in that if you last visited there in 2005, it doesn't look like the same city. And so you got to reintroduce people to Columbia. I also think that that factor cannot be understated or overstated rather when you got a guy that views your market-wise tier three or tier two job as a tier one job, and he would love to be a lifer if you'll give him the opportunity, man, there is, you can rest assured, like when you lay your head down at night, there's not a human being on planet earth that wants Carolina to succeed more than the guy you got there right now. I feel the same way about Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. It's why kind of selfishly I pull for those guys because I'd love for that to be the more normal hiring process for these major programs. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. I think, um, I think certainly, yeah, Jeff Collins does have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of passion for that job, and he he took over. I think what's a, a worse situation because you know Paul Johnson decided, I think, in two thousand seven or so, he was not going to recruit, uh, but at a Southern Conference level, and you know they'd go hang in the balance every weekend. You know, it'd be for a forty five forty two against Florida State, and then. 45-41 against Citadel, you know, or, or something like that. You know, uh, uh, Georgia Tech fans, the 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 hard the diehard tech fans that I know when I lived in Georgia were just uh uh even even when they they won uh gosh the year they played Mississippi State down in the Orange Bowl, they they were done, you know, because they were tired of going through the offseason and oh, we're just gonna go get this kid, we're gonna go beat Mercer on this kid or whatever. Uh, but but I've seen I've seen Georgia Tech play quite a bit the last two years, and, and they're behind the eight ball talent wise. But man, uh, if you're not owning your game, they'll beat you. Ask Miami, ask Florida State. They've won at Miami and at Florida State the last two years, which should never happen. Um, you know that they they took it to Louisville this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're they're going to get there, and and I, and, I, and I agree that Jeff and Shane are actually a lot alike. I, I know them both, and uh, that enthusiasm is very, very important, especially, you know, quite frankly, when, when, you know, you're South Carolina and you're stuck between Clemson and Georgia and you're Georgia tech and you're stuck in Atlanta with the whole sec uh, plus Clemson and Georgia. So uh, I'm with you there. Uh, just, just wrapping it up, Josh, uh, real quick. Um, give us like, cause we've talked with all of our guests about this. Um, just your take of getting through the pandemic uh, and, and the fact that we actually had, a successful college football season uh, as weird as it was. I know, I know at the beginning, I didn't mind 
you know, less fans in the stands or no fans in the stands by the end, it bothered me and I missed the fans, but um, just kind of take us through uh, where you were at with all that, uh, you know, starting a new gig at the same time, having to produce content uh, and then sort of the whole, should they play? Should they not think? This has been such a layered period for everyone. So for me, particularly in my line of work, uh, it's, it's weird to talk about it because it's been the most horrible stretch in a lot of people's personal lives. And in some cases, maybe your professional life that hopefully you'll ever see the rest of your life. I was not immune to that. I lost a loved one. I watched my mom get carried away in an ambulance. I thought for a second we were going to lose her. So this hit close to home for me. I experienced all that too. In my personal and professional life, I've never seen a more fruitful period, which I know is totally flying in the face of what so many of my friends and the folks who are listening to this have experienced. And so when people are talking about the hardships related to COVID, I kind of have enough respect sometimes to keep my mouth shut and kind of slump my shoulders and move to the back of the room because I don't want to be talking about how I've loved this period professionally. It just so happens that that's how my career coincided. But I'll tell you what it did from a college football standpoint on both fronts, both inside the locker room, inside the athletic departments, inside the conference offices and inside newsrooms and this industry, this sports media industry in general, a lot of people exposed themselves over the last year and a half. And a lot of people, you know, previously had really been able to separate what I'm a firm believer should always be separated in this thing. And that is keeping your political beliefs outside of whether you think Purdue is going to win on Saturday or not. It's not a difficult concept, but yet a lot of people really went down a road that I think professionally was ill-advised to go down. I didn't do it, but I watched a lot of colleagues do it. Uh, that's not my business. They can do whatever they want to. But I think what happened is it doesn't matter what other people in our business think. What matters is what the consumer thinks. And so I noticed more and more as we went on in the year with Late Kick, which was the first year, obviously I had done it at 24-7, I started to see a disproportionate groundswell in audience size that was disproportionate relative to what the metric said we should be getting. And I'm not I'm not arrogant enough to think it was just because I was doing some great job. What I realized is we're putting out a product people want and too many other places that they've gone to as a watering hole for sports content for a long time is not the place to give them what they want anymore. And I don't know if that's not some irreversible damage that a lot of people did to their own credibility in our industry. And so, you know, that is what it is moving forward. I think probably five years from now, you'll see a lot of the scars on certain portions of the sports media business because of how um, certain entities and certain people chose to handle themselves in this period. But as for the on-field product, I mean, how big of a rock star does Greg Stanky look like now? I mean, when, when, when do you build the statue of that guy in Birmingham or Atlanta or wherever you want to build it? Cause they stood fast, man. When a lot of these other conferences were shutting it down and uh, you know, the big 10, you could also put them in that expose themselves at the conference level category um, the more I think people refuse to go along and follow the leader mode, the more they got pressed up against the wall and realized, oh, you mean we're going to actually have to give logic behind our decisions? Well, what if we don't have any? Oh, we're going to be exposed and have to reverse our decision on a national stage. Okay. And then you got the SEC, which is largely a punching bag for the Big Ten when it comes to off the field matters. You know, you dust off the sweater vest and you make fun of those overall wearing folks down south. Well, they had it figured out the whole time. And the Big Ten didn't. And so I think that's one of the many chapters that I take away from this. And the other aspect is just 
the overwhelming job that athletic departments and football programs and support staff, medical staff was able to do every week. I remember about week two or week three, uh, Barton Simmons, who, who has gone on to be the GM of Vanderbilt, who in the world saw that, but he was at 24 seven at the time. He texted me and said, Hey, I just talked to a guy who was in a player personnel role. Do you have the slightest idea what happens if you have to go in quarantine? And I didn't know as a player, I, I said, what? I said, do you got to basically be a mummy for like two weeks? And you just got to go hide in a hotel room and you don't see anybody. And you're doing all this just to be able to play a game that you're not making a salary for yet. Not to open a can of worms, but you got to love this stuff to be doing that. And so there were so many thousands and thousands of people that made that possible. So glad we got the season in because it would have been much easier and probably a road of far less resistance to just fold up shop. Everyone would have understood if they did, they would have been mad, but they would have understood, but they didn't. And eventually we got a, I think as good a product, if not a much better product than anyone could have ever envisioned on the field. And we crowned a champion, which was the ultimate goal. Yeah. There, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And we've been talking about it for the better part of a year. Um, I think the people that cover this sport and some are very talented writers, uh, when a lot of the consumers uh, of their work were able to be enlightened to is that they are their number one purpose is not through a love of college football. So they, they don't share the same love as the consumers and what, what many consumers want, and they just can't understand is they don't want their politics injected into their content. And so I, I, I do think to your point, uh, you're going to see a lot of people start looking for other avenues to get their college football fix. And there's more space now than ever. There's more unique spaces. We talked about how uh, your career has, has changed over the last year or so. Uh, and many others have done that. So you no longer need the same three or four national beat writers, uh, especially now when a couple of those guys, uh, <laughs> if we would have followed the path of what they were preaching, oh. and I mean, preaching, uh, to do in terms of college football, of course, we wouldn't have had a season. We would, there's, there's none of this would have happened. Not sure we would have had a basketball season either. Uh, and I think most people, if not all would agree, thank goodness that we did Josh, uh, thank goodness for the work that you do. Appreciate it. Uh, glad we finally got you on here. Won't be the last time. I'm sure. Keep up the good work at 24 seven sports. Keep up the good work at the late kick and, uh, Godspeed for the rest of the off season. From a listener of the JC and Morgan podcast from episode one, I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you, Josh. See you, Josh. Be good, man. Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history. And with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. 
Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs, or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your loyalty select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com slash refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NC. UA. Back with you on JC and Morgan. Our thanks again to Josh Pate for checking in as we continue to be uh, busy on the guest line. Let's see, Josh is in Nashville. You're in Chicago. I'm in Atlanta. So we, we've we've got a good portion of the country covered on uh, on this Zoom that we record these on. Boy, do I wish I would have gotten stock in Zoom a year ago. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's, it's so it. good. I mean, like I've been on podcasts as a guest, you know, lately, Mike, yeah. they, they're still, remember we, we went from doing it in a studio and on the phone. Like right. I was in studio, you were on the phone. Right. Right. To Skype, which was, yep. we thought that was amazing when we did it <laughs> yeah. and it froze up and stuff. And then, oh, yeah. and then we transitioned to zoom and I have to give you credit, bud. You're the one that, you know, I'm kind of a creature of habit. So I was like, sure. ah, I don't know about this zoom. And you're like, we got to do zoom. Uh, we, I, I, I was on zoom for about two minutes and I was like, Oh man, this is the way to go. And I'm still on podcast now. I'm like, what? It's not on Zoom? And I'm, I almost, I'm almost like a snob now. I'm like, if it's not Dom, I don't want it. You know, like right, right. if it's not Zoom, I don't want it. I know. I'm the same so, way. I'm you know, the same I'm like, way. can we just do Zoom? So, yeah, it, it is perfect. Good audio and all that. And you can bring in, you know, one of the problems with, with uh, Skype and, and some other ways is we couldn't bring in guests and right. they sound like Josh just did. And, and exactly. that was a, a big problem with some of those uh, programs and platforms, but so thankful, so thankful we have Zoom. It, it has, it, it, it's, it's truly been a, a game changer for us and, and you know, uh, with our contacts and, and people that we can get on here, uh, it'd be a waste to not, to not do that. And, um, you know, going on my, going back to my days and in, in talk radio, uh, I loved having guests. I didn't like, I liked having caller interaction, but I never wanted to do a show that we relied on callers for content. I just always felt like that was lazy. When I hear somebody doing a national show, um, I mean, I've been doing a, quite a bit of Sirius XM lately and we don't take calls. We do a three hour show and there's not a call and we don't even think twice about it. When I was doing talk radio in Atlanta, we didn't take calls now, I realize when you do talk shows in Columbia, South Carolina or Columbus, Georgia, you better take calls because you're not going to get through that old show uh, unless you're oh, really, man. really creative. In the summertime, uh, too, you're like, oh, you, yeah. after you've broken down the Gamecock depth chart for the 16th <laughs> yeah. time, and, and you know, and, and, and you're like just praying for somebody to call. Just please talk just, about anything. We can talk anything. about we can Anything talk about butter substitutes if you want, but that's right. It's and like, and look, know. there are some formats like Paul Feinbaum, for example, that, that works for him. It you know, works. It is caller driven for him, but, and then, you know, there's certain shows that, that we've heard in, in different markets we've worked in where it works for them, but right. I'm kind of with you. I, I like the guest format. Uh, heck, I like just sitting here, us having a conversation. And, and I think with podcasts in particular, nobody's figured out how to do callers yet. And, and it sound right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, we'll take questions from time to time if, if somebody has one, but uh, you know, so, so podcasts to me are kind of more conversational. 
Uh, I compare it kind of to NPR. So yeah. It, yeah, it's just one of those things. So it, it works for us good. It's less formal. Uh, it's, you know, here, here we are, we're sitting, we're chilling. I can see you. You can see me because it's zoom. We couldn't do that before, uh, for a lot of it. Um, so, so that's kind of good, but you know, I'm not in some formal studio. I don't have uh, a format. Obviously we don't have producers. Some podcasts, uh, do have producers. Uh, we don't have that. We don't, we don't have a pre-show meeting like you do in a lot of markets for a show where we're laying out every segment, what we're going to do. It's, it's more free forum. I mean, I'm sitting here and, uh, on the big screen, uh, JC, since we started, I say the big screen, that's my TV. It's really not that big. Uh, Rocky three is on. And, and this is, this is how my brain works by the way. And it, and I, I, I wish I could change this. Sometimes I could just, I could just turn it off because, Why? uh, it, <laughs> I have a lot of worthless information just bouncing inside the walls of my head. So Rocky three had Mr. T in it, right? It's my favorite Rocky. I know a lot of people liked four with Drago, and obviously the first two are the foundation. And if your favorite movie is Rocky Five, then you truly need to get your head examined because that yeah. was awful. Now, Rocky Balboa was a comeback, I thought. I, you know, I, didn't, I never even saw that one. I need to. Mike. I know. I know. Mike. I need to. I, I just haven't gotten around to it. I just haven't gotten around to it, but I will. So it, it got me thinking about Mr. T. <laughs> And which is also just kind of pathetic. Uh, why, why, why am I thinking about Mr. T? Get you uh, because uh, cause I'll do this from time to time. I'll just do a Wikipedia or an IMDB search. So, yes. and, and, and before you know it, you're down a rabbit hole and you can't get out of it. So this started before we started the podcast, continued throughout. Mr. T was born in your current neck of the woods in Chicago. He's one of uh, 12 children. Yes. Did you know Mr. T, in addition to being a great wrestler, was a high school football player at Dunbar Vocational High and good enough where he won a football scholarship to Prairie View A&M? Wow. But he was expelled after his first year. That's Yeah, I don't know. Nothing against all you Prairie View A&M graduates, but uh, that, that must have taken – quite a bit. Cause I, I've, uh, you know, Prairie View sometimes, sometimes where guys get in, when guys get in trouble at other schools, they end up going to Prairie They wind views. up going up to, to, so, to Prairie yeah, View A&M. Yeah, well, he so. got expelled after his first year. Then he goes in the army. Uh, then he tried out for the green Bay Packers. And it says, <laughs> it says he failed to make the team due to a knee injury. Now something tells me it might be a little bit more than that. Uh, here's the other thing that you might find interesting. Mr. T, while in that movie, looks gargantuan, is five foot ten. Yep. Now he he's bulky. Now I mean I I certainly wouldn't mess with him. And the the way Stallone found him, he used to go it, back when you know TV networks were looking for programming. They used to have these things like the Battle of the Brawler type fighting shows, where it'd actually be like two guys just going at it. Uh, it it'd be on on NBC. It'd be on the, the, what they called the Sunday games. Oh, it was a, it was called America's toughest bouncer. And Mr. T would go out there. They didn't do it by weight class. He'd take on like a 280 pound, six foot four guy. He just beat the living crap out of him. So eventually Stallone sees this. He, and at that time T as I like to call him, cause we're yes. tight was a bouncer in Chicago and says, Hey, you want to, you want to be in my movie? Uh, I, I got a part for you. 
And initially it was supposed to be just like a bit part. And then they realized like Mr. T can act. And so they they made him, I mean, that movie is not the same without Mr. T. It also had Hulk Hogan in it, by the way, AKA Thunderlips. Yes. So, uh, brother, we, we, who knows Mr. T we could have been talking about Heisman trophy candidate from Prairie view, A&M, Mr. T, uh, I'm trying to think he probably, he could, maybe he could play the nose, uh, you know, almost like a, like a squattier Aaron Donald type. And we could have been talking about, you know, pro bowl defensive tackle, Mr. T, but instead he became uh, a bouncer, an actor, a pitch man, clubber Lang, clubber Lang, and then B.A. Baracus on the A-team. Yeah, uh, B.A. Barack. Yeah, I can't forget about B.A. Baracus. Um, <laughs> and the rest and the rest is history. So there's my deep dive on Mr. T because Rocky three is on in the background because it's a very informal podcast. Uh, and so there you go. That's where my brain was. Okay. Back to football stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I think if Mr. T hit the transfer portal and they had oh, yeah. like what they did nowadays and he was good enough from Prairie View, old, old SMU may have, uh, uh, during that era may have, may have. Oh, heck him up. yeah. You, you, you think you think Mr. T had a lot of jewelry back then? If he would have gone to the Express, <laughs> oh man, it would have been it would have been all wrapped from from head to toe, nothing but gold for T. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just love going off on tangents like that because it's the off season, by golly, and we can do it. Um, by the way, we had a kind of our version of Black Monday earlier this week in basketball, a bunch of coaches fired, including Archie Miller at Indiana, uh, uh, prom at, at Iowa state, just to name a couple. So just like COVID didn't affect coaches getting fired in football, it didn't get a, affect coaches getting fired in basketball. Uh, it, there's too much money to gain and or lose. If you're not, if you don't think you got the right guy. Well, I think too, Mike basketball last year, if you remember correctly, the pandemic hit conference tournaments were canceled and nobody got fired. You know, it, it, there were some guys that were kind of skating by that. Right. Maybe you think they could have been, but then nobody got fired except um, everybody's favorite athletic director, John Curry, who led that big search at Tennessee. That was a fiasco, not this past one, but the previous one. Um, he's at Wake Forest now as alma mater inexplicably they fired Danny Manning and pay him 15 million in June. <laughs> and then, then they go hire Steve Forbes from East Tennessee, which is pretty good hire, but uh, yeah, I like, you Forbes. know, they, uh, so, so there, I Danny think Manning's buyout 15 million. Yeah. So I, I wow. think there was some pent up demand in basketball that, that, you know, football, once they kind of got through it, I think everybody sort of realized, Hey, you know, the, the schools that need to make changes can go ahead and do it. And there were some, Obvious astronomical buyouts. Um, the Archie Miller buyout in basketball was, you know, ten million. Uh, and then for a school like Indiana to part with that kind of money, of course, they said a booster did it. And there's speculation it was Mark Cuban that put, that forked out huh. the check, and then another booster is going to pay the ten million to hire somebody new. But uh, uh, you know, that, that that just shows you there. Indiana basketball is becoming. Uh, you know, Tennessee I think football. Ne- I, yeah, I was going to say Nebraska football, but yeah, Tennessee just to keep it in the same conference. But uh, it, it's tough. I mean, since Bob Knight left, they've had you know flashes of goodness here and there. Tom Crean won some conference titles. Mike Davis went to a Final Four. 
but it just hasn't been the same. And uh, I think that program uh, is a better gig probably for basketball than Nebraska is for football or Tennessee is for football, just because of that state being so basketball crazy. Um, I think it's going to be like Alabama football. It may not happen with this hire. It may, but it may not, but they're going to go get their Nick Saban and, and they'll be back. I think, I, you know, people were talking about how, Oh, times have changed and, and all that good stuff. It's still Indiana basketball. They're one of the schools around the country that, you know, like a Kentucky or a North Carolina, that that's their sport that they care about, even though they do have a good football program. I, I never thought I'd see the day where Archie Miller's getting fired in a $10 million buyout and Tom Allen, their football coach gets a massive raise and was national coach of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that's kind of how cattywampus things are in Indiana. But uh, I, I do think they'll be back. It may not be with this hire, but uh, I think someday they're going to get what I call caged animal syndrome where the, 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 the big time program that's got everything going for it just says, we're going to go get our guy, whether that's Brad Stevens down the road. Uh, and he's already said, no, he's not taking that job. Yeah. Whether that's, yeah. you know, Scott drew this year, I, I don't know, but well, uh, I think one day Indiana will make that, uh, make that big hire. I, I, I agree and disagree with you at the same time in terms of much like in football, like if this were 10 years ago and you want the Baylor coach to go to Indiana, you get the Baylor coach period. Or if you want the Texas Tech coach, you want Coach Beard uh, to leave Lubbock for Indiana, you just do it. You make a phone call and it's done. But those programs can offer every bit as much money as Indiana. And they're both in major conferences. And they both, I mean, Beard's already been to a Final Four and Scott Drew, there's a good chance he's going to make one this year at Baylor. So I, I don't know who their Nick Saban is. Because yeah. like you said, Brad Stevens ain't coming. So who who is the Brad Steven? Who is the Nick Saban that you can actually get at IU? And that goes back to very similar to, to what we we used to label premier football jobs. You can't just get anybody you want anymore. Everybody's got money. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I agree with you that Indiana still has a lot of allure, and they're not going to just go in, into irrelevance anytime soon. Uh, you know, that all got started when Kelvin Sampson got him on probation. Yeah, he had things going. I mean, right. he, he was he was rocking and rolling, and then uh, that era did not last very long. I mean, say what you want about Kelvin Sampson. That guy's a winner. I mean, he has Houston. Houston is more successful now, uh, or just as successful now as they were with Fice at, at any point since Fice Slamma Jamma. Yeah. You know, they're a two seed. Uh, he won big at Oklahoma. Uh, and then Houston took a chance on him six years after the Indiana thing because of a, a show cause. I mean, the guy, you know, to me paid an egregious price for a bunch of phone calls, but yeah, you know, and that was, that was unfortunate, you know, about what happened there. Cause they, you know, that they lured him away from Oklahoma after a 279 wins and a bunch of NCAA terms. He never missed the postseason at OU. Um, they get there. He's 21 and 11. Uh, next year he's sitting there 22 and four, boom, the, the, uh, issues hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he got two schools on probation. That's, that's Oh yeah. I forgot about, about the other one. So yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So when they talk about hall of fame, it's like what Dan Dockage said, uh, I, I I'd like to put him in the hall of fame, but I do have to pause before I put a guy that's put two schools on probation in the hall. Like he's a, he's a very, 
interesting case because I agree with you. He can coach. That's not an issue. He's done a great job at Houston. And there's no reason why Houston shouldn't be a power in college basketball. There's so much talent in that city alone in the high school ranks. Um, and, and again, to go back to our very first point, you look at this basketball tournament, and the, one of the things people love about March Madness is it, it's just so much more inclusive where programs can be successful, not just at the same three or four blue bloods. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not quite there in, in football yet. All right. Before we get to some final tidbits on the college football front, some news notes, do want to mention again, Stuart Wingo, someone's going to save thousands. Uh, several of you already have called Stuart and reap the benefits. It's not too late to do it now. You know, interest rates are obviously, uh, going to be fluctuating here and a lot of changes going on in our country. But one thing that doesn't change, no matter what does overall is Stuart Wingo is going to get you the best rate. He's going to get you the best customer service. He's going to save you thousands of dollars with one simple phone call, no matter where you're listening to this podcast. He's licensed 803-319-1777. I've used him four times over the years, and he has made me money each and every time and has been delightful to deal with. 803-319-1777. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. We got a new overtime rule. We've got an ACC transfer rule. If you really want to go into a dark area, we can get into less miles. Uh, the floor is yours, JC. I want to say one more thing about basketball. Please do. Uh, and then we can transition into to the – because we're going to talk transfer portal. And basketball, as crazy as football is going to be, uh, basketball has been two steps ahead of football with these transfers. And I, I think, guys, you mentioned one guy. Uh, when you were talking about coaches for Indiana, Chris Beard at, at Texas Tech, who's making six million a year, by the way, yeah. in Lubbock. <laughs> so yeah, they've got money out there, and he's a, and he's a Texas native. Um, the Chris Beards of the world, I, I think, are going to end up, you know, being the guys. Uh, you know, because you look at kind of what he does and how he puts together a roster each and every year. I mean, the year they went to the Final Four, they're picked seventh in the Big Twelve. He just splices it together with transfers and, you know, can put a team together quickly. I think those are going to be the types of coaches in the future. I I don't know enough uh, to kind of break all that down and say, who's going to be really good at it and who's not. I'd imagine John Calipari will continue to be among the best coaches in the game. Uh, But uh, basketball is so transitional, man. You're just going to have to gear up year to year. Uh, And so maybe, a Billy Donovan coming back from the NBA as great of a coach as he is getting plopped into that world uh, won't be as, as valuable as maybe a Chris Beard, Um, you know, and and I think transitioning to football, you know, they're they're sort of waiting to approve that. Uh, I I think that's going to change the game a bit, Mike. Uh, And and I'll throw this out of here. See what you think. There hasn't been a single, I think it's first rounder, a single first round draft pick and correct me if I'm wrong, it's either first round or top 10 pick. I think it's first rounder besides a quarterback that has transferred and, and, and transferred been, been like a transfer lately. Oh, that's uh, a good in one. Recent years. Right. Uh, the quarterbacks. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and so I think at that position, you're going to see a lot of free agency type of like, like the pros, like, Oh, let's mm-hmm. go get this guy or that guy because it's worked. I think in other positions, there's still going to be kind of a stigma. And, and I think that at other positions, you know, there's a reason those guys are leaving a lot. And I, I've just seen the bust factor uh, at, with non quarterbacks much right. higher 
uh, than with quarterback. That's a great point. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I mean, quarterback is always going to be the most vulnerable because there's only one that can play. I know you can platoon and you can have the wild cat and it, but most kids don't want to do that. Um, the way, the way they used Justin Fields his last year at Georgia was kind of laughable, really. Um, it, it was breadcrumbs. You'd almost be better just saying, look, we're not playing you this year, uh, red shirt and, and be ready for next year. And you can fight uh, for the job with Jay Crump. But I, I do think, <clears throat> I, I do think you're right in that as long as you're seeing the field, right? I mean, as long, and if you're not seeing the field at all at one SCC school or one ACC school in this case, we'll see if the SCC falls suits. Uh, if you're not seeing the field at Wake Forest, you really think you're going to see it at Georgia Tech? Like if you're a whiteout and you can't get on the field at NC State, are you going to get on the field at NC? I, I don't know. And, and, the, and the people say, well, maybe they don't want to play on a losing team. Well, nobody wants to play on a losing team. But if your ultimate goal, like all these guys, ultimate goal is the NFL. If we learned nothing from the draft, I went over that list of players from what conference they were in the Super Bowl. I was amazed at how many guys didn't even play in the power five. If, if you're good enough, they're going to find you. I don't care if it's conference USA Division two, division three, FCS, if you're good enough, they will find you and you can play. So we know they're not, mo- they're not motivated to transfer because the science department's better at one school than another. Uh, it, it, it's all about what gives me my best tr- track to the NFL. And if you're already seeing the field, great, then why would you leave? And if you're not seeing the field, well, unless you're going to level down in competition, then what's the point? Uh, what's the point of transferring within the conference? So, yeah, I don't think this is going to be the epidemic that some think it's going to be. Obviously, you can't have a kid transfer in the middle of the season. You can transfer the same year, but you can't be like, well, coach didn't play me in week five at Georgia, so next, in week six I want to be at LSU. Like, mm-hmm. It's not going to work that way. Uh, I, 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 I don't see this being as um, – as impactful as maybe some do. I think NIL is going to be a hell of a lot more impactful. Yeah, I I think so too. And I I think that, you know, in football specifically now basketball, the one-time transfer rule, it it is essentially you've had something similar to that because yeah, I feel like we've already had it. They give appeals out left more for basketball and all that good stuff. But um, football, I I think, you know, quarterbacks obviously are going to be, moving around just about every year, but I, I just don't, I, I think, you know, football players too, that if they're happy where they're at, uh, you know, and, and by the time they get to the point where they're, they're kind of a known entity, a lot of times, Mike, they're either, they're a year away from going pro because uh, mm-hmm. football's so developmental. You know, if, if you're a, a freshman somewhere and you don't, don't play a whole lot, you know, you're probably not ready to get on the field or whatever. Now you could go, like in the case of, of some of these guys that are, you know, have gone from FCS to, to FBS uh, in the transfer portal this offseason, you know, maybe and I think that's probably who's going to get victimized on all this is, is your FCS programs because guys inevitably they're going to be players that, you know, are, are too good for that level that could play on the next level that won't be exposure. Um, you know, and so if that's the case, you know, that, that's a different story. But as far as, 
you know, somebody suiting up for Auburn one year and Bama the next. It could happen, but it's not going to be as prevalent as people think. I think you're right. New overtime proposal in college football. I like this. Starting with the second overtime, teams required to go for two. From the third on, it's just basically a two-point shootout. No more touchdowns. No more uh, 73 to 65 results where guys pad their stats throwing a bunch of touchdowns against a defense that's thoroughly exhausted with their tongues hanging down to their ankles and still trying to defend 25 yards of turf. Uh, Again, it's just a proposal at this point, but I'd be surprised if something like this was not passed. Yeah, I don't, and I think too, some of these, some of these, uh, they turn into seven on seven matches, matches, Mm -hmm. uh, matchups. So it's, uh, uh, I think that that's probably smart. I, I would hope they would adopt it. Um, you know, the NFL is considering changing their overtime to something very complex. <laughs> and I think yeah. the college and high school, because this started in high school, you know, they call it a Kansas shootout. Right. Um, right. You know, when I was in high school, this is how they had overtime. So uh, I, I think it's, I think it's probably smart, you know, to, to do that. Cause inevitably that two point conversion is not as easy as people think. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh that's probably a smart thing. And I mean, we remember uh, A&M beat LSU a couple of years ago, 74, 72. And, yeah. uh, you know, you had Arkansas and Ole Miss a few years back, 58, 56. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. Those are all SEC West games. But um, hmm. I think uh, I, I think it's better to have it just kind of traditional and, to, and to, to get in and get out. And I, I think that it's it's interesting because it kind of, your strategy may change. You know, a, a coach may uh, elect to go for a touchdown rather than a tying field goal if you know their two point plays suck or something like that. You know, it may be it may be that that happens. So it's going to be probably not as interesting as that NFL proposal, which still blows my mind. You know, it's something to do with you know, cho- it still it still depends on the coin toss. But the the other the team that loses the coin toss gets to choose or whatever. That that's a I still don't understand that's so probably not as much strategy as that, uh, but uh, I'm in favor of it. Uh, I I don't want to get into the aspects of Les Miles' uh, uh, in, inappropriate conduct. I do think it's interesting. Right around the time, and you mentioned the uh, extension at at Indiana for Coach Tom Allen. Because but these two things happened almost on top of one another, so the the Tom Allen news got buried. But the AD that got fired essentially a day or two later was Jeff Long. A lot of people don't remember Jeff Long after after being uh, after after he was out of Arkansas, went to Kansas. There was a time Jeff Long was one of the hottest names of any AD in the country. Yeah, that, I, I, I always think that's fool's gold, by the way. But yeah. yeah, yeah, and now now he just lost the job at Kansas. Um, and I don't know if it's – I mean, I don't know if he didn't do his due diligence. And I, I, I don't know, and, and quite frankly, I, I don't want to sit here. This is not like a 2020 uh, investigation thing. I just thought it was interesting when I, when I saw that. I was like, wow, how quickly – you can go from the top of the charts uh, as an AD to just now you're, you're Jeff Long, and not only have you been fired by Kansas, but you're also there's a little bit of a stain on your resume. Uh, so I just, I just thought that was noteworthy. 
Well, and, and look, Jeff Long was the chair of the college football playoff committee for a while. I never, never liked his answers. I don't know him, so I don't know if I like him as a person or not. Uh, I know his hires at Arkansas uh, when they when they, when he made them, you know, they, they seemed intelligent. And, and I'm, oh, I'm people talking, love the Bielema hire when yeah, they made it. I'm talking football here, you know, Petrino, um, John L. Smith for an interim or whatever, but. Uh, you know, Petrino until whatever the moral, you know, the moral that, morality thing happened. You know, that he, motorcycle thing will get you every time. Petrino was one was, to a bike, killed it. But Brett Bielema, I thought was was an out of the box good hire because the way you win the Big Ten at Wisconsin, the way you win the SEC, uh, I think at Arkansas as far as recruiting footprint goes, that didn't work out. Uh, and then he goes to Kansas. And if we remember correctly, Mike, he almost hired Les Miles at Arkansas. And so they've been buddies for a long time. Uh, you kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, I thought the coach they had before Les actually had it going. And, you know, they were showing signs of life. They were recruiting pretty well. He ran a modern offense, you know, and it was just, it had disaster written all over it. I always thought Les Miles could get back in. Um, you know, but I thought it would be like, okay, Illinois, where Brett Bielema ironically is now, um, or, or someplace like that, a Big Ten school where, you know, you can line up in the I formation and pound people and, you know, run his stuff, you know, which is, you know, 1990s pro-style offense, uh, Dallas Cowboys-style offense, uh, and be successful and play defense and recruit well. And, you know, I thought maybe he could have a nice little job at, you know, Purdue, if Jeff Brom left or something like that, but uh, Kansas and in that league just was never a fit, um, you know, and then all this other stuff comes to surface. I think his days were numbered anyway. So uh, that's, so that's that. So I think yeah. that's a, uh, that's the deal there, but it's, it's, un, it's unfortunate because I, I think anytime you have some tarnishing of a, of a reputation uh, for a, a person you admire, and and I don't just admire Les Miles one-liners. I I've met him before when his son was a recruit uh, at some camps. He's actually kind of a funny guy, at least to me he was, um, and, and a good dude. Uh, so it seemed. Um, and, and then you hear stuff like this, so it's kind of bad. And you know he's sixty-seven, so I think I think that probably just about does it for him. And unless yeah. he unless he ends up on Nick Saban's staff as an analyst but uh, yeah, that might be the final chapter I'm not saying at all that he's not guilty of the things or I, I I'm not getting into that I will say I hope we don't get into a trend where ADs um and and universities that have a football coach that is clearly failing the only way to get out of the buyout is to fire them with cause. And then all of a sudden you start trying to find stuff to justify that. Um, I, I hope that's not the new trend because that would be also a bad look in a different way. Yeah. I, I all right. Think so too. All right. We're, we're over time and I need yeah. to watch uh, Mr. T's cameo in different strokes on YouTube. So yeah, and I want to apologize to the audience. I very subtly started playing uh burning heart 
Uh, when you mentioned Rocky three, and I want to correct that, Burning Heart was in Rocky four. Rocky four. Rocky yes. four. It's a Burning Eye of the Tiger Heart. is Rocky three. Yeah, I should have played Eye of the Tiger, but it, it just uh, I messed up my song. So my apologies to all you Rocky purists, Mike. If you don't watch Rocky Balboa, I don't know what to tell you. It's that speech. It, he gives the best speech of all the Rocky movies. I have heard the about, speech. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I have that, heard the speech. He's like, that's what cowards do. That ain't you, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. you, Mike. Gosh. It, it, uh, and I, I'll say, if you thought Rocky Five sucked, which I did too, with Tommy Gunn and all that, that was brutal. That was ridiculous. Rocky Balboa redeemed itself. I, okay. I thought Rocky Balboa, I thought that was a great redemption. Then, then that part, that kind of segued good into the, you know, the 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 Creed movies or whatever. Yep, yep. I heard good uh, things so about Creed. Everything's yep. still alive, but uh, yeah, watch Rocky Balboa, man. It'll uh, it'll get you. I I would I I'd like to see a pay per view with. Balboa and Thunderlips. If we could get that back together, I'll pay nineteen ninety five for that. No, that. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, our thanks again to Josh Payton, everybody tuning in. We'll see you again soon. Uh, by then, we'll be more. We'll, the tournament will have started in basketball. We'll talk some more hoops, even though it's oh, yeah. a college football podcast. Uh, there might be some more coaches that are fired in the next few days. So we'll, we'll get into that. And of course, there's always plenty of college football to talk about and maybe another guest or two lined up for JC. It's Mike. So long. Whoop.